0: You're listening to the Activity Strong Executive Edition series on the Bridge the Gap Network. The live webinar series aims to promote, engage, and empower wellness directors and senior living executives to continue the conversations surrounding health and wellness in aging adults, powered by Linked Senior.
1: Welcome, everyone. Welcome to today's Activity Strong Executive Edition webinar, where I'm very excited to have Sarah Padilla, Vice President of Resin Care at Merrill Gardens and Cheryl Nichols, COO at SafelyU. Welcome, Sarah. Welcome, Shirley. And I also wanted to welcome everybody on the line. As a, um, actually, let me, uh, let me just share with you that I hope that all of you had a wonderful uh, July 4th. I was talking to Shirley and Sarah just earlier. Here in Washington, D.C., we uh, We had a lot of fireworks and tons of fun. I hope you were able to take a little bit of a break and uh, and have a a relaxing long weekend. Today's webinar is uh, one of our, quote unquote, executive edition that we have in partnership with Bridge the Gap, where obviously, as part of the Activity Strong Initiative, it is all about acknowledging activity and life enrichment professionals, empowering them and educating them but also being proactive and inviting quote-unquote executives to the discussion. So if you are a quote-unquote executive and you've joined us today, I wanted to welcome you especially, but also thanking you for taking the time because just your presence means that you value activity and life enrichment and you're part of our quote-unquote platform to help us elevate the discussion. Today's topic is, is extremely important and I will be sharing uh, a quick introduction, but before that, I wanted to share with you a little bit about us. So myself, like Megan mentioned, I'm the CEO and co-founder of Link Senior. Link Senior is a resident engagement platform for senior living. We touch about 45,000 lives in the U.S. and in Canada, and we work with leading operators, such as Merrill Guard and and we're very excited to be partnering with these providers in elevating the experience for the elders, their residents. Our work is simple; it is all about resident engagement, and it's also about helping, quote unquote, measure the impact. So we do. Uh, we're the only platform in the market where the work has been published in a peer-reviewed journal in 2019, and we're very passionate about measuring resident engagement and correlating that with outcomes. Some of these outcomes are actually very important, which comes to things that are measurable, and that includes, obviously, fall reduction. And we know there's a winning partnership that we all have their potential of enabling. And a lot of it has to do with this idea of collaborating, right? So what I'm very excited, one of the many reasons I am very excited about today's presentation is how can we, quote-unquote, collaborate with our elders, So they can live each day with purpose. And how can we, in doing that, take into account their preferences to help build an experience where, you know, obviously we're mitigating things that we wanna avoid, such as falls, but we're helping them thrive every day. So again, with a lot of excitement, I'd love to introduce uh, Shirley Nichols as the CEO of Safely You. Shirley.
0: Hi, thanks so much, Charles. Really excited to be here and to join uh, Sarah. Uh, Shirley Nichols, CEO of Safely You. I am responsible of the customer journey from marketing and then through customer success. Uh, Really excited to be able to share uh, success stories with Merrill Gardens here today. Uh, I'd like to introduce you to Sarah Padilla.
2: Good morning, everybody. Uh, Sarah, uh, I've been a nurse for over 20 years, uh, currently at Merrill Gardens for the last five years, heading up the resident care or the clinical facing um, front for the communities from the home office. Uh, We're lucky to be able to partner with both Link Senior and Safely You to really provide a wonderful program um, for our residents at Merrill Gardens.
0: Great. So now we'll go ahead and transition to the educational content here. So on the agenda today, uh, we're gonna talk about why do we focus on falls? and next, we're going to go through some statistics that SafelyU has uh, documented from over 15,000 on-the-floor events. And then we're going to go through how do we actually identify unmet needs uh, and how do we empower care staff um, with interventions through resident engagement. And then we'll go through some best practices with leveraging technology. Uh, and Sarah will kind of highlight how she's levered technology with addressing unmet needs uh, and then we're going to actually go through some case studies. Why do we focus on falls? Uh, well, to start off, one in four Americans, uh, age 65 and older, will fall each year. Um, I think we all know that falls are a leading cause of both fatal and non-fatal injuries. Uh, and falling once doubles your chances of falling again, um, And we do focus a lot with Safely You on those living with dementia. So a lot of our data will be around those with some sort of cognitive impairment. And what we want to highlight here right now is that those with some form um, have uh, twice as likelihood of actually falling uh, than those without uh, dementia. So they actually uh, average uh, four times per year. In addition, about 26% of Alzheimer's disease-related hospitalizations are actually caused by falls. So how do we minimize um, that type of outcome related to falls? In addition, over 80% of falls um, globally are unwitnessed, which occur in the bedroom. And then specifically, those living with dementia, unfortunately, aren't able to articulate uh, their falls accurately, either what was the cause of the fall before the event, or what were they attempting to do, um, or even how long have they been on the floor? So how do we help address these um, and uh, uncover what their needs are? Uh, and so the reason why Safely You was really focused on falls is that we found that current fall measures didn't really address how to uncover the root cause of falls. Instead, a lot of times they're just really reactive, um, responding to a fall. Um, Sarah, do you have any, um, kind of context around Merrill Gardens and why you guys have become more focused around falls and why you've, um, you know, obviously partnered either with safely or other technologies to really uncover unmet needs to reduce your resident risks?
2: Yeah, so as Shirley said, a huge volume of falls each year. For those of you that work in the industry, you know, we deal with falls on a daily basis. And so being able to have a better understanding of what's happening with those residents when they're in their room um, and they do fall with Safely You has enabled us to put uh, forth um, better um you know interventions to prevent future falls from happening so it's kind of being that fly on the wall to see what's really going on in the in the unit i know many times we have said if we only knew what was happening and with this technology it has enabled us to actually see what's happening before that fall occurs
0: and I think you'd probably agree from the population and space, uh, those residents with um, with some sort of cognitive impairment do have a much higher risk of falling. So being able to have um, a way to uncover that is really critical.
2: Absolutely.
0: So what is safely you learned um, through our 15,000 on the floor events? So we kind of want to highlight here was um, of all of our communities, about 94% of the detections would actually be unwitnessed, meaning in the bedroom uh, where the resident is alone, it happens 94% of the time. In addition, this actually was um, kind of the most um, insightful statistic across all of our communities when they onboard is that um, 38% of our what we used to call falls are actually intentional, where the resident self lowers to the floor. Uh, they make a choice, uh, whether or not they're cued by their shoes, maybe they just enjoy sitting on the floor, Uh, maybe they're praying, maybe they like yoga, you know, we have several, you know, residents enjoy that, but unfortunately, they're not able to get back up, right? So it's, um, how do we create an environment and a space that can promote that independence, but again, reduce their likelihood of a severe fall? And we'll go through that more. And the next is that 22% of our detections are actually what we call silent. Silent means that the resident did unintentionally actually fall in the room alone and was able to get back up on their own. Um, And in those events, a lot of times that actually might result in an injury of unknown origin. So meaning the next morning or the two days later, you notice a bruise forming or maybe a cut that we didn't notice before. And it's really difficult to obviously communicate to the family um, or come up with a root cause, uh, which obviously creates not only extra work for, for caregivers, but also this uh, feeling with family of this you know unsettling feeling of what happened. Um, and so with Safely You, we are able to detect these events. And again, address, well, what did occur? How do we actually help this resident um, from what they were attempting to do? And then lastly here, we've actually uncovered that most falls, only 4% of falls actually result in a more traumatic injury. So what this is telling us is that most of the time, Falls are solvable in a sense, that they are not extreme, that we can help enable um, that environment to be safe for that resident so we can keep them uh, safe in their community um, so that we don't have to send them out for unnecessary ER visits. Uh, Next, we're going to kind of get into hour of day falls. So we've been able to trend uh, when do falls actually occur. So as you know, sometimes if you're not using a technology, uh, you know, you're doing your routine rounds, you know, wellness checks on residents. Um, Unfortunately, we don't know how long they might have been on the floor. And so what we want to highlight here are pretty much two peaks um, that uh, typically occur between three and seven and six to 10. And that's usually because a resident might be ready to get up. You know, in the morning, a little bit earlier than they than they are used to, or they're actually not ready to go to bed. Uh, we actually found that we're we might be putting our residents to bed at like six p.m. You know, a little too early. They actually still can be engaged and still can go do things. Um, or there might be some residents that just have a different pattern of sleep. And so again, how do we address this more from a person centered approach um, and and really understanding what's happening in the room and Um, And we'll kind of go through some of these examples. Uh, But again, I call out here, you notice the intentional versus a true fall event. Um, And you'll see that they actually follow the same pattern in a sense, that those that intentionally lower themselves to the floor and also fall are basically around the same times. So again, how do we create that safe environment if a resident wants to exit their bed sooner in the morning? Well, how do we enable that? Or how do we create a safe space that they can lower and scoot themselves on the floor if they choose to, or create, again, ways for them to transfer on their own? Now I'm going to kind of highlight some of the environmental design things that we've witnessed. And Sarah, please feel free to kind of uh, chime in any stories that you've seen um, at your community. So here we've seen, you know, a cluttered room. So we know in a lot of our communities, you know, families obviously like to send things. They also, when they move in. Uh, You might have a little bit more things than you probably would have wanted. But really understanding keeping design space is really uh, not only making sure that the resident can focus on things that they're interested in, uh, but really, if it's cluttered, they actually don't know what to go focus on. Right. And so keeping the environment um, as clutter free is really important.
2: I know, uh, Shirley, real quick, as we've watched videos, families really want to recreate that same environment, maybe that mom lived in at home. And so just making some minor adjustments, things should be eye level, or you might have a bookshelf where all of her favorite books are on the lower shelf. And that's the way her home was. But in looking at what she's doing in the room and lowering herself down to dig through or find those books, making simple adjustments as to moving those things up to spot that she can reach them has made a different has made an impact in many of our cases.
0: Yeah, we've also witnessed from um, think of like surface area as well. So on top of that shelf, or on that small little desk area, or by the TV console, um, you want to have clean space. So it may not seem like it's cluttered, but it does. Um, it does add and it's difficult for them to focus. So even looking for a TV remote, for example, when you have, you know, too many things, it can be distracting for them to know which thing is the TV remote. So I'm making sure, again, you're keeping the environment simple for them to engage in the things around them. Um, Next year is about 18% of falls, we actually do see floor mats present. So uh, wondering, are the floor mats actually useful in the space or not? Or is it actually hindering them to be mobile and to move? About 46% of the time, the rooms are actually dark. Um, So can the resident actually see in the room Um, is also really important. So the illumination of the room and preference. So some residents do want it pitch black. Right. And so I understand that I, I like sleeping <laughs> when it's really dark, um, I like the black, you know, light the black, you know, blackout shades and things like that. Um, but some don't. Right. And so how do we change that preference and understand that? We've actually seen a lot of times, um, you know, they'll keep the bathroom room, you know, cracked open that actually could be a really big distraction. Can you imagine like a little beam of light coming into your bedroom can also be very distracting. So how do we actually understand if whether or not the resident prefers that today or not uh, to help them make sure that they can still make the right choices? Because that could be a distraction they want to get up and turn off the light. Next is that 81% of the fall's mobility aids are present. So uh, what does that mean? It means that you know typically residents have to transfer or use some sort of uh, transfer um, aid to, to mobilize, but can they actually use it is, is also the question here. So can they engage in their device? And what we're actually finding is that half the time, um, unfortunately, we're not actually setting them up for success. We actually have found that there might be a mobility aid in the room, but it's not within their reach or they don't even use it. And so again, how do we uh create that mobility aid of engagement of active use? Maybe you only use it when you're with them, you know, and it's something for them to do um versus don't have it in the room because it's um it's it could actually be a fall risk for them.
2: I think uh the mobility aid is a huge opportunity to educate your team members or your staff. I know um, there's been a lot of thought where out of sight out of mind and so we see care staff you know tucking the mobility aid whether it's the walker or the wheelchair they'll put it in the far far corner and so when a resident goes to attempt to get up they actually need that mobility aid Um, and so Just making small adjustments like that, making sure the mobility aid is locked and in place next to them so that if they do attempt to get up, they have it available. So just different, um, you know, insightful things as you watch fall videos that you learn along the way.
0: Yeah, for sure. I think when you're, I kind of think of yourself sitting in a room and if you're going to engage in anything in the room, it kind of prompts you to me, shoes is a prompt me to want to go do something, right? uh, When I see my shoes, and then obviously a mobility aid will prompt me to want to leave, right? So there's, there's things that make you want to take an action. And so what you want to make sure is what action that could result in a safe or unsafe behavior. Um, And then that's the thing that we want to make sure that we're communicating here today, that we do think that engagement is great. It's just how do we make sure that environment is tailored to that resident based off their fall risk. And then lastly here, we actually have noticed closet doors Um, a quarter of the time, which is interesting. The closet doors um, are actually left to open. Um, I I have a problem with this at home. I will get up out of bed and close my closet door because it's, I don't know if it's like the boogeyman or something. I don't know what it is, but I I always have to close the closet doors Um, or even like the pantries, right? And like my kids, I'm always having to close doors after them. Um, there might be some other OCD things that I might have, but, um, my point is I know for myself, I definitely like things close. So if you can imagine a resident, you know, uh, would also feel the same way. Okay. So we're going to go ahead and transition now over to, you know, some of the things that we've witnessed and how do we address some of these, um, unmet needs. Uh, So, why do we want to do this? Uh, Specifically for those living with dementia, they cannot articulate their needs and desires. It is difficult uh, to understand what they need, Um, and so through the fall video we've been able to better understand um, cues and things like that from an environmental space. You know, some some of the reasons also around um, residents don't have meaningful engagement. And so how do we design, again, that space or design a new activity that is meaningful for them to uh, reduce their likelihood of cognitive decline? And then really about promoting, um, you know, routines and improved sleep and socialization. What we found a lot of times is if you notice those peaks and valleys, a lot of times those falls are occurring at night was because they weren't restful. Uh, We see them walking actually around the room at nighttime because they weren't engaged throughout the entire day. Um, They were less active during the day. So if they're in the room for during the daytime, unfortunately, we are going to see more falls at night uh, because they weren't socializing or doing things. And so really understanding that pattern is important. Uh, And then, of course, you know, always about person-centered planning um, will help uh, mitigate that. And we called out earlier, uh, those living with dementia will fall approximately four times per year. So how do we minimize that frequency with some of these opportunities? So, um, here, first off, like, how do we address this? Um, you know, Sarah, do you have any, you know, I know you guys are very proud of, um, your program, uh, in memory care, but in regards to gathering detailed life stories and, you know, information, how does that help you guys from your process?
2: I think just knowing, uh, having a better perspective of the resident, it does take families um, quite a bit of time to fill out the life story. But to be able to um, make that connection with them as to why we need that information um, can really help make a difference in that resident's life. And knowing that they normally slept till 10 a.m. at home every day, or they went to bed late at midnight kind of helps us tailor it specifically to that resident so that we can help meet those needs. Not everybody goes to bed at 6 o'clock. Not everybody gets up at 7.30 to go down or or have breakfast. So being able to make those accommodations per resident um, can be very impactful.
0: I thought this was um, also pretty critical in regards to observing the resident within their own space. So I think a lot of times our care staff, you know, they're very task oriented. They have a lot to do. Um, But if you don't actually see the resident engage within their own space of are they actually using that chair? Are they actually using the TV? Do they actually still engage in the book? So making sure that the use of the environment is remains engaged for them and and even just the mobility aid. Um, A lot of times care staff won't uh, will just kind of help self help transfer the resident with the mobility as, as opposed to make it part of the engagement let's actually get the resident, be part of the activity, um, even just transferring example, but it also helps you observe them in their space to see if they can do things like that on their own. Um, does that make sense? You know, Sarah, I think you guys do that pretty well.
2: Absolutely. I think, um, you know, we've, We've encouraged or had our staff watch the Safely You videos. And so giving them that perspective of what's happening with the resident while they're in their unit um, has been eye opening um, for them and has been allowed them to kind of change what they do when they go into an apartment to engage with that resident.
0: And I think also, you know, when when there's been a change in condition, you know, or a fall event, um, how do we create some sort of assessment of the room um, and how they're using their space um, is really important. So how do we create, again, that kind of that cadence in the community to assess that?
2: I think the other piece, and we're probably going to talk about it, is we've also seen residents move a lot. So um, when you enter a room after a fall a lot of times that's not where the fall occurred or when they lowered themselves to the floor, they move around quite a bit. And so being able to see that perspective and that they actually lowered themselves way over by the bed. But when you come into the room, they're over by the bathroom. And so seeing what they're doing um, definitely has made a difference in what we're able to adjust or change within the room. I think, three big things for us have been um, recliners or movable rocking chairs or rocking recliners have been um, a big impact for us. And that discouraging res or families from bringing those types of things into the room um, has, has made a difference for us.
0: Um, So other ways to address this is, is really about, you know, enabling uh, your direct care staff as well. Um, So, Uh, training them to see, you know, shifts and changes with the resident and what are clues to look for is really important as well. So uh, we understand that, you know, they're not going to be therapists and actually see some sort of gate change, but uh, there might be just something subtle that is really helpful for us to try and prevent, um, you know, a fall or fall risk, or again, changing the room and and the way that we use the room um, for that resident. It's really important to collaborate with with more than just care staff. I mean, you really want to involve the family in the process to get their buy in um, and having different perspectives is really key to really uncover, you know, a lot of this, especially with those with living with dementia. Um, Another area we have seen is medication review actually does make an impact, um, you know, in assessing if you've seen a change of condition. Um, you know, there might be something else that might be related of if they, if you're, if they're showing, uh, less interested or engagement, uh, we have seen a lot of times that could result in falls because maybe they are spending more time in the room because they are less engaged. Right. And now they're spending time in the room alone, which then increases their likelihood of falling. Um, and so how do we, again, keep all these different of team members involved in that process?
2: You know, I think a big takeaway is making sure that you're utilizing your pharmacy partnerships. Most of you work with a long-term care pharmacy that can f- perform drug regimen reviews. And so if you have somebody who's falling or falling frequently, making sure you're asking your pharmacist to do a drug regimen review because a lot of times they may uncover um other things that may need to be changed and can discuss those medication changes with the physician.
1: Shari, I have a quick question here. Um, and, you know, from a perspective of, like, a typical activity or life enrichment professionals, we, we hope as much as possible to get help from other departments, including nursing and care partners, right? And we want to do that so that we have other team members that help us engage the older or elders. And it seems to me that, you know, I've counted, I think, five or six examples based on your data, Shirley, and what you've seen, Sarah, with your communities that if we had a way to enlist activities in life enrichment, you know, around the preferences of our residents, so, you know, yoga, the time of getting up or going to bed, the lighting, I mean, Shirley, I'm the same. Everything needs to be dark for me and closet clothes and all of that. You know, the amount of energy, you know, that partnership, is often where we see um, things make it or break it, right? Like that winning partnership. And I'd love to hear, you know, Shari from your data or Sarah from your experience. The perspective of non-activity staff, like what have you seen to be helpful that you would hope the typical activity director knows about, or the typical life enrichment professional, to always take into account? What has been these things that make it or break it from your perspective?
2: Well, um I'll go first. So I think I think working on that partnership between clinical and care staff, um, and that we're all we all have to take care of that resident. Um, I think making sure that they're communicating, even the day-to-day changes they may be seeing with the resident, encouraging the the engagement staff to participate, whether it's in daily huddle or um, looking at our communication log on minor things that we may not think a big, are a big deal, but the engagement staff would want to know too, like she's, she's really tired today or, you know, something else is going on with her. So I think making sure we have that open, open communication with engagement, um, because they're spending a good amount of time with the residents as well. And I think it goes both, you know, it goes both ways.
0: Yeah. And I do think, um, because of our data is all in the bedroom, what we've seen is, You know, residents spending more time in the bedroom, which I think is, you know, we want to promote their own independence to spend that time in the bedroom. I think that partnership, though, um, with activities um, or life enrichment in regards to what do we do with that, again, that bedroom space um, to make that just that environment more engaging. So it could be as simple as just color patterns you know room you know from and that will create some sort of feeling you know for that resident to want to possibly engage I think um, that collaboration of just spending time in the room with possibly your activities partner of hey let's just sit in the room you know for a few minutes I don't think people do that enough of is this room engaging to you you know, and kind of making sure that you are partnering with that. I I know that, and, you know, when I'm very excited, I get to go tour some of our communities now. I definitely, I need to sit in that chair, you know, with the resident and say like, okay, if I'm sitting here, what, scan the room, is this room engaging for me to feel like I can be Engaged in anything? Do I have my things accessible? And can I spend time in my room alone um, feeling like I can do something on my own? And it's okay if they want to be social. Let's go ahead and pull them out and let's put them in group activities. But I do think we need to have more ideas. I think we need to pull more in for care staff to be creative in the room itself. So I think that the activity partners can co- create some some great, great ideas uh, as a one-on-one activity um, or even alone in the space. Um, So here, these are just most common areas uh, that we have seen in that space. So kind of on that, uh, on that thread there, Charles. So how do we, again, from partnering of what matters in this space? Are there wake, wake sleep patterns that can kind of help us out? Is there different comfort levels in the room? Um, and then also even just what do they like to engage in, in the room itself? Do they like to play with dolls or tinker with things, or they like to read through the newspaper, things like that within their space. Um, and then of course on the ADL side, uh, we do think that this is a great activity. Uh, we actually have an example on our case studies here, but, um, how do we engage a resident with just basic ADLs? Take your time. So how do we create a basic ADL to be active and engaging? Um, so even if it's, folding clothes, you know, that is a very engaging activity um, that we all are used to doing. And how do we create that as, as, as a function, even in the room, even if it's just socks, right? I mean, just give them a pile of socks and, you know, match socks. That could be a very engaging activity for somebody. Um, so those are just different ways that, that we that we think are really important. Um, so we're going to actually transition now into fall huddles and, and practice around uh, technology, Um, so really around how do we use, this is a crazy, you know, diagram here on a fall workflow. Um, and it can be this crazy. Um, my point of kind of showing this all to you is really prompting you to say, Hey, do you actually know what you do after a fall? When a fall event happens, what are the steps? And let's actually make sure that you guys reflect on that and say, Hey, who are our partners and team members that we involve in the every step of the way? And it's not just the response to the fall. What's most important is actually, what do you do after the fall? How do we learn from that fall event so we avoid it from the, from ever happening again? And how do we communicate together to help solve this problem for the specific resident? Or how do we learn from it and actually pay it forward? Right. So what did we actually gain from this information? And how do we actually share and collaborate as a team so we can actually support other residents? So some basics here is that we believe the fall huddle structure is really important. So we believe in having a fall champion represented um, that really supports every detail of fall events, uh, empower your staff. We believe it's really important to have accurate reporting and the ability to analyze uh, interventions together as a group, as a multidisciplinary group here, which is where we have either your executive director, your general manager, activities coordinator, as we just mentioned, um, your maintenance, direct care staff, have everybody in the room to talk about this because they all can impact, um, this process. And then really make sure it's part of embedded, uh, embedded in your fabric. Right. And so I think Meryl, you guys have done a great job, you know, partnering, you know, with, with our customer success managers in this process. So can you highlight it all in regards to how this has helped you guys identify, uh, resident
2: needs here? Yeah, the fall huddle has been key for us to review falls because I think, you know, two minds are better than one. And so when we get on our fall huddle uh, calls, it's a combination of myself, regional nurses, um, representatives from the community. And so we're looking through those videos. And a lot of times it's just different things that pop up or different perspectives Um, And so that's been very helpful in reviewing, especially for somebody where we feel like they may continue to fall and like, why can't we figure out what's going on? So those fall huddles have been eye-opening. We've also included family members in watching the fall videos. And so um, it's been educational for the families as well to see what their loved one um, is doing. And it it has enabled us to make recommendations and changes to the family, like changing out a chair. I can't tell you, sometimes we get into deep discussions with families about they're really stuck on making sure mom has this one chair that's been in the family forever, but they see what an impact it has on a fall, and then that conversation completely changes. So, Fall huddles and, and reviewing them have been key to addressing our frequent fallers and making sure that we've got appropriate interventions happening um, for those folks.
0: Yeah, and really around that fall huddle, when we talk about technology and best practices, whether or not it's safely you or another technology partner, what we really want to make sure that when you do conduct your fall huddle, how are you bringing in all that information? How do you review that incident information together? Um, and does it really support all the details? Um, Because in a fall scene, uh, which we're going to go through here soon, is capturing like, it's kind of like a, it's it's a fall investigation. It's kind of like a crime scene, right? And it's, it's a how do we actually understand what actually happened um, and making sure you're collecting that information. Next is about obviously root cause analysis. Um, so, whatever technology you are leveraging during your fall huddles, how is it actually providing insight? You know, to the information, how is that providing the unique information about that resident and their care, and how you're going to address, um, you know, that fall specific event? And then, of course, interventions and actions. How is your technology that you're enabling? How is it actually helping you close that whole loop? A lot of times, with fall prevention, is actually the implementation of the intervention. Um, so, how do we? close at that last mile, in a sense, you know, a fall has happened, you find out that it's the chair, right? So Sarah keeps calling out the swivel chairs and lazy boys. So who's going to actually close the loop there? Um, So how are we ensuring that we're going to actually close that and get the chair removed? So a lot of times, that's always actually the most difficult piece is who's actually responsible of of the execution? And how is your technology supporting that?
1: So I have a question for you, because we understand, I mean, we know that Merrill Garden highly values activities and life enrichment professionals. But we do have today in the audience members of organizations where, unfortunately, it's not quite the same respect or not quite the same value. And sometimes activity professionals are not included in these huddles, whether the daily. What would be your word of advice that you could tell these activity directors that they in turn could tell this superior about the importance of including them in that process?
2: You know I know that's always a tough I I saw some of the the comments in chat um about that and I think it's kind of you know it's we have to be resident centered focus right and so it can't just be all about one thing it's not just about dining or just about care it's kind of looking at the whole perspective of that resident and engagement plays a big part of that and maybe offering um Some insight, Um, if we know Mary is falling all the time, maybe approaching your clinical leader and saying, you know, I've noticed some changes with Mary and I'd love to be able to provide some input um, on what's happening with her if you guys are having a fall huddle or talking about her falls. So maybe offering the information that you have and making it accessible and knowing how you can build some value with that.
1: So, what you're saying is that instead of going directly for the executive director, probably try to partner with other team members to make the case. That's fantastic, thank you. And then, Shirley, um, we had a couple comments, at least one actually, kind of a question here asking, you know, from your perspective, Shirley, how well, because obviously I know the answer, but how well does this work for people with more advanced dementia? You know, could you speak to us about the different levels and how this process actually would work? hopefully with everyone.
0: For sure. Yeah, I think, um, you know, kind of transitioning perfect cue here on how the technology works and how we do kind of advocate or we actually uh, believe that we support those that aren't able to advocate for themselves. Um, So I'll kind of dive in how the technology works as I do know that we want to get into the cases. Um, So real briefly, so we leverage artificial intelligence uh, through using computer vision. This is actually an image from Tesla's website. And so we use the same type of technology that we take images from the camera and we train our algorithms to detect certain events in the room. So here again, from a Tesla auto self-driving car, they have about eight cameras all the way around the car and they've trained it to understand what the patterns are on the road. And what Safely you has done is taken that same type of technology, but applied it within um, in assisted living and skilled nursing. So here you see, this is actually me uh, in actually a Merrill Gardens community. Um, I'm sitting on a bed um, and the AI actually detects me as a human, um, but it has a confidence score of whether or not I'm on the floor or not. So this is an opt-in program also, by the way. So this is a consented process. Uh, we only turn on the cameras for those that opt-in, um, and we also delete video upon recording if a fall is not detected. And so through this process, we can actually have a high accuracy of over 99% um, and we're able to upload the pre-fall video. And so here, this is where the kind of the the big takeaway here for for advocating for those with um, some form of dementia is that we can actually not only notify the community immediately of the fall detection but we can also provide the buffer video of what actually caused the fall. So what happened minutes before the fall event so we can advocate for that resident. So today, unfortunately, somebody with severe dementia is not going to be able to communicate what they were doing, where they were, or if they're hurt. So instead, here's actually a video clip that I'll show you. This is a media release from a family member that um, approved us to share this with you. So this resident is living with dementia in a memory care and assisted living you'll see here, she actually lowers herself to the floor with a pillow because she actually doesn't want to hurt herself. Um, and what she's doing is she's actually watching Big Bang Theory on her TV right now, and she's looking for her TV remote. Um, and so the problem here is that she can't find it, mainly because, as we could probably see here, there's a lot of patterns, right, in this room right now. Um, you know, and so she's shuffling around. So this is actually a couch, um, and this is her one bedroom. So this is her bedroom over here. But obviously, you can see there's a ton of pillows, different patterns, um, and she is making a choice to lower herself safely to the floor. So this is that 38% that I mentioned to you earlier, that this is actually the, the intent of actually looking for something, lowering yourself to the floor. Um, and how do we, again, create the safe space for her or an engaging space that she can watch TV if she wants to, and she can change the channel because it's clear she still remembers how to use the TV remote. Um, and so here, we now that we know what she needed, we can make sure we can declutter her room Right, is one thing, and we can make sure the TV remote is accessible and we don't see all the cluttered things in this room. right? So we're talking about surface area and accessibility. So how do we, again, make sure she can remain engaged if she wants to stay in her room to do an activity like watching TV? So hopefully that kind of answers some of that question in regards to supporting those with living with, with dementia. The purpose is to be able to observe and advocate for them of actually seeing what happened in the video.
1: Yeah, that's a wonderful example, Shirley. And, and seeing this obviously makes me understand that actually the most value would actually be for the people that have probably more advanced level of cognitive Correct. change, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thank you.
0: So now we'll kind of go through the cases. So um, so this is um, our first case here. Um So this resident, so Sarah, I'll give you, um, I know you know these stories pretty well, but for the for the uh, attendees here. So this resident She's had multiple falls uh, before this um, where she's seen to be very busy in her room. Um, She actually likes to exercise quite a bit. And you see her actually holding some sheets. She likes changing her sheets. It's an activity that she enjoys doing. um, But we saw that she would fall. As you can see, she also has a walker here in the in the bottom corner of the room where she also has her folded clothes. So she enjoys engaging in these type of activities in her room. But unfortunately, she did fall repeatedly. Um, and so from here, though, um, Sarah, if you recall kind of the interventions?
2: Yeah, so you can see she's very busy. So this will be Shirley when she's older in her room. <laughs> Everything's neat and tidy. And that's what she does. She's very busy in her room. And so she loves to change her sheets. Her falls were centered, uh, several of her falls were centered around while she was attempting to change her sheets. So as an intervention, we actually have engaged her. So the care staff make it, um, one of the things they do with her every two days is they help her now change her sheets. So they allow her to participate in that activity um and it meets kind of that need for her to do it but we now can do it safely because we've added it to her care plan that the care staff's actually going to help help with her change her sheets so you know I know a lot of times when they move into senior living, it's kind of like we want to take care of everything and really they still want to feel valued. Right. And so allowing them to participate in, in things they would have done every day or every few days can make a big impact. And really that's what we've done um, for her in this situation.
0: Yeah. And I know that activities one-on-one can be, Difficult, right, to plan out. I'm sure because your other care staff are obviously multitasking and having several other residents they have to support. So I do think, you know, I don't know for those on the line, you know, in regards to how do you support one-on-one activities in the room? It'd be great to maybe get some feedback there from from those on the line. I think it'd be a great collaboration because that's one of the shortcomings we've heard is that how do you try and find the same resources you already have. But create individualized one-on-one activities like this in the room to make sure uh, we could do that for these residents. We had one resident that was same similar type of thing where she enjoyed um, um, unpacking and repacking, or you know taking all of her stuff out of her closet and putting it in the laundry basket, and then putting everything back in uh, into the hangers and putting it back into the closet. Right? That's a great engaging activity that they enjoy doing, but it's unsafe. It's very unsafe for somebody that's not very mobile. So how do we create that workflow environment uh, where we can support that one-on-one activity time while still addressing group activities as well? So I think there's that balance. And I don't know, Sarah, if you have any comments on that, like at Merrill, how do you, how do you make sure you have that one-on-one time?
2: Yeah, so it's just basically we try to incorporate. So the care staff's probably gonna be in there doing it anyway. So some of it is just regular tasks that they have the responsibility of doing. And so engaging the resident to come along with you and to participate doesn't really create anything. You're not having to go set something up. You're just bringing them along with you to, yeah, that's great. to, what, you're, to what you already have to do.
0: I think that's great. Um, even with, you know, we had somebody that at least bringing them into the common space as an activity, they actually gave them um, a bunch of small towels to fold. You know, so let's just have an engaging activity and have everybody just fold a bunch of face towels. Um, so again, different things that you could do um, as well. Here's um, our second case here. Um, this case, uh, you know, unfortunately, this resident did have multiple um, did have multiple falls um, around her lazy boy, um, her recliner chair that I know uh, Sarah kind of mentioned is always at risk. Uh, but a lot of residents really enjoy it. It's very comfortable. Um, but there's obviously many problems with, with these type of chairs, especially when you talk about, um, you know, being able to self-transfer. So you can see here, she she can self-transfer to the wheelchair. That's right next to her. Um, but we did witness a lot of times her being unsuccessful to do that because, of course, the wheelchair was unlocked um, many times or just she couldn't transfer completely. Um, And this is actually where one of the recommendations are around, observe your resident in their own space, observe them transfer themselves, observe themselves engaging in their mobility aid to see if they're successful in in, in using it. Um, So unfortunately here, she did have repeat falls Um, But by identifying her pattern in her room and what she was doing, um, we also found that she was also using the call light. Um, She actually knew how to use the nurse call button. She knew that by pressing this, somebody would come into the room, but she was always sitting in her chair when that would happen. Um, Sarah, if you want to give us some color to the interventions here.
2: Yeah, so this uh, young lady did have several falls and, and through our fall little process recently, I was like, did she move out because she's not been falling. And so when we started reviewing, it's really kind of the interventions the community has put in place. So like Shirley said, she loved sitting in that recliner. Um, That was her favorite chair to sit in. And so through some engagement and and adding a recliner in our common space, she loved being around people and she would use her call bell and people would come in and she would want to engage with them. So by adding a special chair for her out in the common space, she now is engaged out where everybody can see her. She's very comfortable and that has totally reduced her falls because now she's out and she's in engaged. So it's been a big impact for her. Somebody that could have broken a hip or ended out at the hospital and had would have been a move out um, is now living successfully in our memory care unit. And so, you know, just having this knowledge and being able to address her need um, has made a difference in her life for sure.
0: Yeah, it's just that somebody may want to be in the room, may not be that they aren't socially, you know, wanting to be a participant. So again, uncovering what is that? What? How do we solve that for them? You
1: no, know, Shirley and Sarah. I, don't know if, I mean, I'm sure you're, you're seeing the uh, the chat here, but I get excited a little bit, like the audience, from the perspective of the activity director, because obviously the technology is amazing, but it's also a fantastic way. To empower activity and life enrichment, right? Like we, you've you've given at least five or six examples of interventions that, without the technology, we may have found out, but not sure. Right now, that technology would actually enable and empower activity and life enrichment even more. So that's really exciting, and, and kudos to you both.
0: No, it's great. Uh, it's great to hear, um, and I, I think the point is that we, we believe there's more collaboration that can be had, especially with, with our activities and life partners. So, um, thanks for calling that out.
2: And I think many times we tend to like, well, let's bring in therapy. We're always thinking from a clinical perspective and sure. so in looking at, you know, this gives us, again, I say, it's like the fly on the wall perspective. It gives us the entire view of what's happening. And sometimes our interventions don't have to be clinical in nature. And I think um, kind of, that's what we're showing today. It doesn't always have to be about, you know, clinical, throw another med, you know, order, a- yeah. order another medication to, you know, make sure she doesn't get up out of her chair.
0: Yeah, that kind of wraps up I think on this last case here. So this is the fall scene. Um, uh, So you see there's some books here on the floor and just a folding table, right? And then you also see this TV that's on this really small little um, uh, TV stand. Uh, So this resident actually uh, enjoyed reading in his bed. Uh, So what he would do is he'd lean down to the floor to go pick up his books and then he'd always miss his bed getting transferring back in because obviously, you know, a dynamic reach down that low and then being able to come back up. Um, unfortunately, they just witnessed that process weren't repeatedly. And so what they were able to do was talk to the family, you know, about the uh, furniture here in the room, you know, replacing obviously, you know, this, this uh, area right here. How do we make this more engaging for him and more space? And so here, uh, Sarah, if you want to kind of talk through this.
2: Yeah, so after reviewing several of his falls, we definitely rearranged the room. Um, you can tell several of these small tables are definitely not safe. If he tried to get up and put any weight on them or um, maneuver anything or hold on to them, they're definitely not safe space. The TV's not secured, none of that. So by looking at what was happening in the room, we actually created some space where he could have his books he could sit here if he wanted to engage in watching his TV. He could do that. Um, we have a chair with arms now, so easier for her, him to be able to help himself stand up and push himself up into a standing position. But um, I noticed some of the comments in that that it is difficult to provide one-on-one. But in making some accommodations he actually can engage um, and do things that he enjoyed. And it doesn't require a one-on-one staff in there to be able to initiate that. He now can read his papers or look at his books and his magazines in a very, in a much more safer space.
0: Yeah. I think the, the coming up with ideas of independent engagement, you know, in this space and making sure that the space is optimal. So even though that chair, we had that chair, but it was tucked in this corner. So to him, it, who would want to sit in that corner? You know, I mean, it's just, it seems aha, right? As we're sitting here being very judgmental, I you was know, <laughs> sitting at a still frame. Uh-huh. Um, you know, it's very easy to be judgmental today, right? And so uh, we also, you know, for, for your own purposes of everybody online, uh, we actually recommend, you know, if you don't have safety, just take a picture of the room, take a picture of your rooms sit down as a team. I'm sure you guys can collaborate without a before falls occur, right? So why don't we just take the time and collaborate as a team on, hey, let's just make sure our rooms are engaging and they want to use the furniture pieces that are even in the room to kind of inspire them to do something. Um, again, sitting in this corner without your books and being close by, that seems very obvious to us now, but it it's helpful by taking that pause, like that freeze frame. And that's actually like, take the time and look. Um, And and that's kind of part of that whole prevention aspect of how do we actually just learn from some of this that we're sharing with you today, there's a lot you can do. um, And definitely partnering with your uh, life enrichment and and activities, for sure. So that wraps up our last case, we just want to summarize, um, you know, on a high level kind of, of what we've talked about, um, you know, uh, gathering life history, obviously, life story is really critical, even though we know that that changes over time. Um, but being understanding of that is really important. And, and don't keep that light story in a binder, right? That binder, I always see the binder when I come visit the communities. that's tucked underneath a desk. Um, create some sort of workflow that helps that process and making sure it's top of mind. Um, observe the resident. We we mentioned this of just seeing, can, can they access things? Observe them in their space. Sit down with them. Take the two minutes. Sit with them actually in their chair or sit actually in their chair and, and actually scan the room. Um, making sure, again, you're frequently assessing, even though there might not have been an event or a change of condition, make sure there's a repeated process. Again, take a still frame of the room. Make sure that's something you guys want to do as part of the process, quarterly, semi-annually. Um, and really try and train your direct care staff on engagement and, and clues to look for um, it would be really helpful. Or even kind of Sarah's point, you're already going to do certain ADLs in the room. Let's train the care staff how engaging you can make that one activity. Brushing your teeth, for example, could be a lot more engaging than just doing every step of the toothbrush. You know, that could be a huge activity for them that they already need to take take place. Um, Again, also interdisciplinary team, definitely try and get more involved uh, with multiple people in that room when you're doing that fall huddle review. And then we did mention medication review can be really critical, especially when you end up seeing residents spending more time in the room um, and less engaged. Uh, There are typically sometimes related to to, to med med management. And then, of course, detailed documentation of the fall events are really important. So that kind of wraps up, Charles. I can um, stop sharing here.
1: Thank you so much for sharing such an amazing presentation, uh, Shirley. I, I just want to congratulate you and the rest of your team for coming up and building such an amazing technology that is so, you know, obviously cool and interesting, but also kind of empowering of what we all want, which is, you know, a interdisciplinary approach really um, kind of seizing the opportunity for our staff, but towards this one common goal, which is to improve the life of our elders. And, you know, Sarah, also thank you for joining us, but also kudos to you as an organization, as as a professional, but also as an organization, for embracing such technology. It's, it's so cool to see. Um, you know, there's, there's a quote that I like to, you know, that I have in the back of my mind, which is, you know, the future is already here, you just need to look around you. And I think that it is such a perfect example because this is going to happen. This is actually happening now. And so I just want to thank you both for bringing this future closer to us and making it more digestible. Um, Everyone on the line, thank you for joining us today. Um, Here are the contacts of these amazing speakers. Please feel free to reach out if you have any questions. You know, Sarah, there's a couple of questions about your processes at the Mural Gardens, including your life story. Shirley, I'm sure that people will be very interested in hearing about your four huddles. And I invite anyone to just consider them. Uh, it's a great way to get educated. Maybe invite your nursing department. Maybe invite also your executive director and, and hopefully working together collaboratively. Um, regarding Activity Strong, I do want to share a couple of announcements which are some of our upcoming webinars. Obviously, um, you know, we are continuing after our very successful summit that we had a couple weeks ago. I invite all of you to come to our webinar on July 20th, where we'll understand how we can take um, the person centered approach by understanding the preferences of our residents. And then Tuesday, August 3rd, this is going to be an amazing uh, discussion with. Donna Moore, the COO of Isaacson Living, who actually, when COVID hit, enabled her team to uh, align. And uh, she has really interesting uh, uh, stories that obviously would would benefit from all of us. And as an invitation, please consider our fall and winter gathering. And some of you have already registered for next year's summit. It's up, it's there. Uh, we hope that many of you will, will join us. And, um, you know, with that, I want to, again, thank everyone for joining, uh, wishing everybody to stay cool. Uh, I know it's very warm out there, regardless of where we are. And uh, Shirley and Sarah, again, thank you so much for uh, for this presentation today. Thank, thank you. All. Take care. Have a great afternoon. Bye-bye.
0: Thanks for listening to the Activity Strong Executive Edition series powered by
2: Linked Senior. Find more resources and webinar information at btgvoice.com.